If I may invite you to have your, your Bibles ready, or at the very least, have your, your bulletins prepared to hear the Word, I think this parable gives us a lot of information to questions that all of us may have had at one time or another. And it certainly is a question that a lot of people ask me, some of them really interested in knowing an answer, others as an objection to the validity of God or the goodness of God or the love of God, and they would make all kinds of of questions and post scenarios. When this happened, where was God? Why did this happen? Why is bad in the world? Why is evil in the world? I think Jesus addresses this issue head on. Because even in the time of Jesus, certainly uh, that question must have been prevalent in the, in the minds and hearts of people. Uh, why are the Romans here? Why are people usurping other nations? Why is control and abuse? Why is there so many bad things happening to God's good people? Uh, that may have been questions that were prevalent at his own time. And so he answers a question in the form of a parable, which he then explains. Uh, in order to understand a little bit of the or put a little bit of context in the teachings of Jesus. We need to understand that Jesus is in the area of Galilee, which is in the northern side uh, uh, of, of Israel's country. You have Judea uh, on the south, where the temple was, and then you have the country of the Samaritans in the middle that were not necessarily Jews. And then above that was Galilee, where the Sea of Galilee was, and that's where Jesus spent a great deal of time. Uh, if you kind of, if you're interested and you want to trace Jesus's journey from one place to another, you may begin in chapter 12 and recognize where Jesus was. Uh, it tells us, I believe, in chapter 12 that he it was a Sabbath day and that he had gone uh, among the grain uh, fields, and that may be one of the reasons that he has these parables about grain. Uh, and, and wheat and weeds and, and things of that sort. But it tells us in chapter 12, verse 1, that it is a Sabbath day, a Saturday, and that he is among the grain fields. And then it tells us that from there he goes into a synagogue, probably in the area of Capernaum, and he begins to teach, and, and from there he goes out to the, to the house. Uh, we need to understand that Peter and Andrew had a home, in the area of Galilee, in the area of Capernaum, which is right by the sea. And that is uh, a place that served kind of as a headquarters for Jesus. And uh, he would always end up there. And from there, he would go in different mission fields and go to mission places. But he always kind of returned to his hub, which is there in that house in Capernaum, which has been found archaeologically and had been turned into a place of worship or a church, and the remains of a place of worship is there, and that is believed to be Peter's house. But we are also told that from there he goes out, he leaves the house, and he goes over to the sea or to the, the lake of Galilee. 
and he gets on a boat and people are on the shore and, and he has them all standing there on the shore. He sits on the boat, pulls out a little and begins to teach. And that's where we're getting this, this passage, this, this parable. Uh, there's a couple of things that I want you to, to understand before I jump right into the parable, which I think are interesting and I think they're important for you as a disciple of Jesus uh, to learn. Uh, first of all, I want you to understand that the whole Gospel of Matthew, the whole Gospel of Matthew, all 28 chapters in the Gospel of Matthew, uh, are actually or can actually be divided into five major sermons of Jesus or teachings of Jesus. Okay, the whole of the Gospel of Matthew needs to be understood as five major sermons of Jesus. And in between each of these sermons, we find a number of stories of healings. We have stories, uh, of course, the, the whole Gospel of Matthew begins with the nativity of Jesus, the genealogy, the nativity of Jesus, the escaping to Egypt, uh, the return from Egypt, and so on. And then in between each, you have the baptism of Jesus, you have a number of miracles, but the whole of Matthew, if you want to understand the whole of Matthew, the most important parts, I suppose, are five major sermons of Jesus. The first one, of course, is the Sermon on the Mount. The Sermon on the Mount, which takes us from chapter 5 to chapter 7 of Matthew. Uh, the second sermon, I believe, is a sermon on the sending of the disciples, where he sends them out in chapter 10, and he gives them instructions as to what they are to expect, where they are to go, what they are to do, and so on. And that takes uh, a couple of chapters. And then in, in this, uh, this, third, this third major sermon of Jesus, which is where we are today and, and will be next week as well, is what we would call uh, the, the Sermon of Jesus on the parables of the kingdom. The parables of the kingdom. He begins to teach his followers, his disciples and the crowd, what is the kingdom of God that has come among them? What is that kingdom like? What shall it be compared with? And then later on, I think around chapter 18, there is another sermon of Jesus on the issue of who is great and humility. And he spends a lot of time in teaching about uh, being uh, humble. And then his last major sermon, which begins in chapter 24 of Matthew, is the Sermon on the Last Days. And that goes chapter 24 and 25. And he teaches on what to expect at the last days. Uh, and then comes uh, the, the, uh, the betrayal and the persecution and the arrest and eventually the crucifixion and the resurrection of Jesus. So if you take the whole Gospel of Matthew and you divide it into these five major sermons, you will have uh, a real understanding of what Matthew is doing. But in today's parable, or in, to, in today's teaching, we are in his third major sermon on the parables of the kingdom of God. And the first question I would want, to want, I would want you to ponder upon is, what is a parable? 
what is a parable? How would you explain a parable to someone who doesn't know? I mean, Jesus himself says that he spoke to them in parables because they would not always understand. And a parable, it really is simple. A parable is a story that is taken from everyday life. Things that people could relate to. Things that people probably did themselves all of the time. Things that they saw happen. Things that they were very familiar with. There are stories about everyday life, but with a teaching, either a proverbial teaching or a major teaching of Jesus that he wants us to, to understand. And the thing with parables that I love about parables is that they're easier to remember than just a teaching. I still have memories of many childhood stories that I have, childhood stories that my mom told me uh, or, or that I learned in church. And it doesn't mean that, that because I remember the story, I remember the teaching behind the story. But part of the reason for parables is that if you really enter into the parable, if you really enter into the parable, the parable have a major teaching for you and for me. Even the disciples so many times had to come back to Jesus and say, what was that about? What were you teaching there? I don't understand. And then Jesus would explain each parts of the parable, and then they could apply that to themselves. We have here a parable. Uh, Father Steve last week dealt with one or two of the parables of Jesus. I think this is the third parable in, uh, in, in that sermon of Jesus, and it's what's known as the parable of the, the wheat and the weeds. Some Bible translations may have it, the wheat and the tares or the tares and the wheat. Uh, tares and the wheat are kind of the same thing. And um, what we have here is we have a story from Jesus that, that deals with why is there evil in the world? Why is there evil in the world? And he, he tells the story that a man, the owner of a field, a good man, comes and, and he sows good seed in his field with good intentions, with loving intentions. And he sows these seeds, this wheat, seeds that eventually would grow and bear much fruit and, and bless a lot of people. And then it says that not when he, but when his men were asleep, the workers that, that ate him in the sowing of this field, when the men went asleep, an evil enemy of this one man, what I would call agricultural terrorism, agricultural terrorism, he comes in the middle of the night under the covering of darkness and he sows on that same field 
he sows weed, seeds of weed, tares. Well, at the beginning, no one notices because it's seed from seed almost all look alike. And as they begin to sprout from the ground, the weed and the tear, the, the wheat and the tares or the weed all look a little bit alike. Their, their, their leaves are almost identical. You can't really divide one from the other or separate one from the other until the time of fruit bearing comes about. And the wheat, of course, bears grains of wheat. The weed bear nothing. Their fruit is nothing. That's where you begin to see the difference between the wheat and the weeds. And the weeds are occupying space and eating from the same ground and taking from the same nutrient as the wheat. And they are interfering actually and choking in a way the growth of the wheat. And that's when the servants of this man recognize that there is evil in the field. There's something wrong, something that was not intended to be. The opposite of what the man intended to grow in his field. And so they come to the owner and they ask, why? Why is there weed among the wheat? And the man responds, an enemy did this. An enemy did this. And so their second question then becomes, do you want us to go and start tearing all this weed from the field? And the men say no. Because in tearing the weed, and probably the roots of the weeds are interconnected somewhat with the wheat, you're going to damage and hurt the wheat. You're going to damage and hurt the good fruit that is to come from the wheat. He says, leave it alone. Let it all grow together. And at the end, I will send the reapers the ones that will gather the harvest and they will then separate the weed, put it in bundles, and since it's good for nothing, it will be burned on fire. While the wheat will be taken, bundled together, and put in the granary for trade, for feeding others, for doing good things. The end... At the end, at the time of the harvest, the separation will take place. You and I talk about evil in the world. Why are there some children born with disfigurements? Why is there war? Why is there cancer? Why are there illnesses? Why is there racism? Why is there 
all of the sad and ugly things that we experienced and that happened in this world. Why? Well, the answer, first of all, from this parable and from Jesus is that is not what the, the man who sowed in his field intended. It is not what, what, what the man intended. The owner did not intend that. That was not what he created this world for. He created the world to be good. He created all of us to relate to one another in goodness in righteousness, in purity. He created all things, and then an evil one, which clearly is identified as the devil. He came and sowed among the goodness of God's creation and God's intention and God's people. He sowed the discontent and and, and, the, and the pride and, and, and sinfulness and, and, and the ugly side that, that is part of this world that causes us to be at war with one another, to hurt one another. That is sown by the devil. Why are these things in the world? Because there is an enemy, an enemy of God, an enemy of all that God intends to be, an enemy of God's church, an enemy of God's people, and there is evil in this world. There's no question about it. There's great evil in this world. And, and then the question then becomes, well, isn't God powerful enough to get rid of all the evil in the world? Well, yes, he is, and he definitely will. But the problem is that unfortunately, or fortunately, God's patience and God's grace and God's love is giving each of you and me the opportunity for repentance and for change. And I know that in the parable, weed can never become wheat or wheat become weed. But in the reality of our lives, we can change. We can change and we can trade and, and give up the old life and the old world and the old, the old ways of doing things and the, and, and the hurt and the evil and, and the damage that we do to one another. All of that junk that is produced from us. Because it doesn't come by itself. You and I need to take responsibilities for any evil that we do. All of us have an opportunity to change and to repent. And unfortunately, I don't have over my forehead God's man or God's woman and the devil's man, the devil's woman. We cannot divide from each other. We can meet each other on, on, on the streets and not know who is of God and who's not of God. We can meet each other inside the church and not know who's a committed believer and who's not a committed believer. We can look at the whole world and say, well, those people in that nation, they're not believers. Those people in these nations, they are believers. Then we become the judges of each other and not God. And if we start tearing each other according to our own judgment and our own set of values, we will damage a lot of wonderful souls 
that would have an opportunity to come and know the Lord. And so the answer is not get rid of evil, because in getting rid of evil, we will get rid of a lot of people that may have a wonderful and beautiful opportunity to come and know the Lord and turn from evil to good, from sinner to saint. We would all, the whole world has an opportunity. Why hasn't God finished everything? Because God is being patient. We just finished studying a group of us, about 30 of us or so. We just finished studying the second letter of Peter. And I would want to, to ask you to go to 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9. Why isn't God already come? Why isn't the end already done? Why isn't evil done with? Because God is patient. Because God is loving. Because God is merciful. Because God is waiting for everyone that is going to come into the kingdom to come into the kingdom. Before he starts tearing the wheat and the, and the wheat and the tares out of the ground. He's giving every opportunity. Why is there evil in the world? Because there is an evil one who is in opposition to all that God wants to do. And it's his opposition. It's in opposition to his word and to his teaching. And so when the disciples go back to the house and they ask Jesus, Jesus, uh, teach us what you meant by this parable. Jesus gives them this teaching. The one who sows the good seed is the son of man. That's Jesus. He's the son of man. He is the one that brings goodness and love and mercy and sacrifice and forgiveness and salvation. The field is the world. The good seed are the sons and daughters of the kingdom. Who live in this world. The weeds are the sons and daughters of the evil one. Who also live in this world. The enemy who sowed them is the devil. Very much active in the world. The harvest is the end of the age. And the reapers are the angels. Just as the weeds are gathered and burned with fire, so it will be at the end of the age. Jesus teaches that there will be an end time. Anyone that tells you that there is not going to be an end time is lying to you because they're not in, in accordance with Scripture. There will be a time of harvest, of reaping, of judgment, and of rewards. The Son of Man will send His angels, and they will gather out of His kingdom all causes of sin and all lawbreakers, and throw them into the fiery furnace. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous, the sons of the kingdom, the sons of the king, the daughters of the king, will shine like the sun in the kingdom of of their father God. He who has ears, let him hear. What is then what we shall do? 
what then is the wheat to do in the midst of living in the midst and together and even confused at times with the wheat or the tares? What are we to do? Well, first of all, we need to trust God, that he has it all under control. And we know that there is an end time, and it is in his hands, and it is in his will, and not ours. Number two, the judgment belongs to the Lord. It does not belong to us to judge one another as to who is saved, who's not saved, who is of God or who's not of God. The judgment belongs to the Lord, and the reapers, the angels, will know exactly those that bear fruit that are of the kingdom and those that bear fruit or don't bear fruit that are of the kingdom. And they will know the difference because Jesus himself said that by our fruit they shall know us. By our fruit. But the other thing that I want to say to you is that in the midst of this world that sometimes looks like it's crazy, we need to be patient. We need to be patient in the full knowledge that God is in control. We need to exercise patience until the Lord determines what He's going to do and when He's going to do it. We also need to be persevering. We need to be persevering and be strong in the Word. Be strong in knowing what our Father is teaching us, what Jesus has come to teach us. The kingdom of God is here. And the King has come. And the King will come again. In the meantime, you and I need to persevere in doing good and being good. And being the good that God wants us once from us, bearing fruit that glorify our Father in heaven, that blesses our brothers and sisters, that blesses people around us, where wh whoever they are, we are to do the good that is intended by God for all people. We need to persevere. We need to be patient. We need to trust God. We need to have hope that God will bring about a just end to all things. Be a bearer of the good news. Be a bearer of the, of the news of the kingdom, of the love of God, of the mercies of the Lord. Why is there evil in the world? Because there is a devil still loose in the world. A wounded lion, but still a lion waiting whom to devour. There is evil. And I, one of my prayers always in my life is, Lord, let me not do the evil. Because even I could do evil sometimes. 
Even I could say the wrong word. Even I could be offensive to others. Even I could do things that are not of God. Let me be a follower of Jesus who keeps his eyes on Jesus and the teaching of Jesus deep within my heart. Let me be aware of good and evil and the potential in me. And let me do the good. Let me choose the good that I bear fruit of the kingdom and bless all those around me. I want to ask you to always keep in mind that as a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a child of God, a son of God. There is a reward waiting for you. Persevere in your faith. Persevere in your hope. Look to God and only to God. This world brings nothing but travail. Seek God in all you do. So whenever someone asks you ever again, why is there evil in the world? Go back to this parable and explain to them the goodness of God, the evilness of the, of the devil. And why is it that God hasn't eliminated all of this? Because he doesn't want to damage the good also that are intertwined in this life. We live together, perhaps even of the same family. Perhaps even working together in the same job. Perhaps neighbors. We are intertwined together. Our roots are together. And if you tear one off, you are possibly running a chance of damaging a, a brother or a sister. Let the judgment be God's. And you persevere in following the Lord. Take a look at this parable a little deeper. Pray about it. Ask the Lord, don't stretch it too much, because every parable, if you stretch it too much, it'll snap. The parable is intended to convey one teaching, one major teaching. And that's the one teaching that you and I need to pursue and not peripheral little other stuff and why this or why that. The parable has one teaching, and it's that good is in this world alongside evil, and evil is not from God, but God will eventually correct all things in justice. I pray you are blessed today with this teaching.